This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is Buckeye Football Futures. I'm Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. We are talking offensive line recruiting today. We've been going week by week through the various position groups, and we've come around to one of the most you know, crucial positions I think uh, one of those positions that um, sometimes goes overlooked in some ways because if it's when it's going at its best it sometimes uh, is easy to ignore or easy to overlook because uh, a guy isn't failing and sometimes an offensive line doing his job well doesn't show up the way that uh, he does at receiver or defensive end or something like that certainly like quarterback but Ohio State has has built a pretty solid foundation on its offensive line Steven, I guess just as you watch how Ohio State recruits and the priorities that it sets, where do you feel like offensive line falls in the that list of priorities? Or do, or do you feel like everything is pretty balanced position-wise as the way Ohio State approaches things? Yeah, I think for the most part, everything's pretty balanced position-wise. Offensive line being different because it's the one place where you have to have a variety of different human beings Within a recruiting class, it's I don't know a recruiting class in the country that has all, you know, five top 50 recruits on the offensive line where you have the number one center, the number one tackle, the number one guard, and then the number two, you know, tackle and guard along with that to finish out a class. Now, Alabama came pretty close. They had the number one tackle, the number two tackle, the number one center, but they still had some other developmental guys as well because there's a physical aspect to this that doesn't necessarily always exist in other positions where if you play wide receiver, if you come in and you're 6'1 and 190 pounds, you might end up playing at that weight. It just might look a little differently if they cut, get you a little bit more cut up and whatnot. But for an offensive lineman, you could be a five-star guy who's six foot seven, 265 pounds, and we all know – that's not going to cut it in any conference, let alone the Big Ten, to be able to play offensive line. And so because of that, there is a, a wide variety. I think the 2020 recruiting class was the best version of that, where you had a guy like Paris Johnson leading the way, but you also had guys like Grant Tutant and Josh Fryer and uh, Trey LaRue as more, you know, developmental guys. And hopefully one of those guys hits, and it seems like Josh Fryer has emerged as one of those guys. And so it's kind of hard to just say, is an assistant coach doing his job the right way or the wrong way by just looking at the recruiting rankings and thinking that's all that's supposed to be there. But even when you look at the recruiting rankings, I think it doesn't look that different than other positions at the end of the day, or at least that's the kind of the conclusion I came to when I went back over. So as we always do here on BFFs, we like to kind of reset the room and go back to how we got here, which is what the Ohio State roster will look like this fall. 
Thayer Munford sticking around takes us all the way back to 2017. So he's back as a super senior. He was a four-star guy, ranked number 285 in the country, kind of an under-recruited guy, had uh, some academic issues at the time. Um, I, I think that might have played into which schools were pursuing him. Ohio State came on kind of late. There's, there's a fun story that I've been trying to tell there about how he got to Ohio State. And, and in some of the things, it's one of my sort of summer projects. It's been hanging out there for a while, and hopefully I will get to that soon. So he's the only leftover member, though, from that 2017 class. 2018, Nicholas Petit-Frere was a five-star, ranked number seven in the country, seventh overall player. And Matt Jones, uh, a four-star, ranked number 68. So they really got a high impact out of those, the two guys that they got for 2018. 2019, Harry Miller, five-star, ranked number 30. Enoch Vamahi, a four-star, ranked number 124. Ryan Jacoby, a four-star, ranked 283. And Dewan Jones, a three-star, who does not have a 24-7 composite ranking. So that put him somewhere outside. I think the next lowest guy for Ohio State that, was, that had a composite ranking was like 756. So Dewan Jones was quite a ways down the list and a, a very developmental project at the time and, and uh, has not made a huge impact on the field yet. But one of those guys that just seems to be like lingering for when is he going to have his breakthrough. Uh, 2020, Paris Johnson Jr., a five-star rank number nine. Luke Whipler, a four-star rank number 108. Grant Tutant, a three-star rank number 463. Josh Fryer, a three-star rank number 510. Jacob James, a three-star rank number 852. Trey LaRue, a three-star also with no composite ranking. That's that 2020 class you're talking about where they get six guys that are spread all over the spectrum as far as the recruiting rankings. And in 2021, Donovan Jackson, a five-star rank number 18. He has arrived and is on campus, was not here in the spring, but will be a part of the team, obviously, this summer and into the fall. Ben Christman, a four-star, ranked number 123. Zen Michalski, a four-star, ranked number 310. And then they do have one commitment for 2022. We'll talk about that down the line. But when I look back over that list, for this fall, Ohio State could start five players ranked 68 or higher. That's if Donovan Jackson doesn't come in and blow people away and earn a starting job. But just looking at Munford, Nicholas Petitfer, Matt Jones, Harry Miller, and Paris Johnson Jr., five guys ranked 68th or higher in their class overall, and four of them would be ranked 30th or higher. So do you look at that as – well, before that, I guess it pushes back a little bit on what you're saying. Like, yes, they recruit those guys for depth, but at the end of the day – and there have been some exceptions. Um, you know, Thayer Mumford, I guess, is, is one exception. And um, Brandon Bowen a couple years ago was not a highly ranked recruit. Um, but when, when they're doing it right, I think this is what they want it to look like, right? And at the end of the day, I think that Ohio State would want, yes, they're going to recruit some guys for depth, but the starting group should look more like this, right? I mean, this is what more could you ask for, right? Let's just talk about the known guys that we 100% know are going to be starters, regardless of situation. You've got a four-year starter who you just said under-recruited was in the 200s, but he's a four-year starter, so who cares about his recruiting ranking at that point? You've got the number one tackle in the 2028 class. And oh, wow, the 2018 class. There is a, a, a seven-year-old who is now the starter at Ohio State. The 2018 class is uh, number one tackle, who is actually the highest-rated tackle that Ohio State's ever had. That's your right tackle. The guy who we thought was going to be the left tackle, but because your four-year st starter came back, now he's starting at right guard. And he's the second-highest-rated tackle that Ohio State's ever had, Paris Johnson. That's your right guard. Right. And regardless of where Harry Miller is, I think we expect him to be a starter, whether it's moving over to center or it's staying at, at left guard. That's the number two center and a five star, the number 30 overall player in the 2019 class. 
So, so far you've got three five stars and a four-year starter. And then you're going to add to that either another guy who was the number one center in his class, a number 68 overall player, or you're going to have Luke Whipler, who was what, like the number – excuse me, the number two center in his class and a borderline top 100 recruit. So, yeah, this is what good rec- this is what good recruiting looks like. And then, like, behind that, you're going to have a bunch of, you know, highly rated four stars. Donovan Jackson, you just brought up. You said unless he blows somebody away. Well, even if he doesn't blow anybody away, that's probably a second-team guard, just given what his talent is. And that's the highest-rated guard Ohio State's ever had. He's surpassed Wyatt Davis. So, yeah, this is a pretty healthy offensive line room. We talk so much about this class, there this this position group and the state of Ohio because it seems to be the one group that Ohio State has to really mine the state of Ohio and can do it and still get really high caliber guys. I think defensive end has been weirdly also it's been happening at that position for them too and we've talked about that before about whether that's um, sort of just a weird window that they're in right now where some of the, the best guys in the country have just been in their backyard. But at so many other positions, when you start talking about the highest-ranked guys in the room, you're talking about Ohio State recruiting nationally, whether that's receiver, whether that's quarterback, certainly. Uh, they get a lot of defensive backs from, from other places. So I, 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 in my mind, I always think of, like, Ohio being a, a rich area for Ohio State. But I was looking at the guys who ranked 125 or higher that are on the roster this fall, and it's Ohio, Florida, New York, Georgia, Hawaii – Ohio, New Jersey, Texas, and Ohio. So like a third of them come from Ohio. But at the end of the day, as much as we discuss recruiting Ohio for depth, Ohio State still goes out and finds the best offensive lineman in the country and brings them here. It's not that they're falling back on Ohio for the guys who end up starting in a national championship game, for instance. Yeah, I'm just looking at like their all-time commits and signees right now. And you're right. Looking at the five stars, there's one, there's two, there's only three of those ten five-star. No, I'm sorry, ten, nine, nine five-star offensive linemen have ever committed and signed to Ohio State. On, to the point of one third, there's only three of them who have ever been from Ohio, and that's Paris Johnson, obviously in 2020, Alex Boone out of St. Ed's in Lakewood, Ohio in 20 in 2005, and then you had Mike Adams out of Dublin Coffin. Um, high school in 2008. The rest of those guys, Nicholas Street Fresh from Florida, uh, Donovan Jackson from Texas, Wyatt Davis from California, Harry Miller from Georgia. The, it's it's you're right. It's to the point of it's one third. It's it's not that many. It's just sometimes when they it's the it's the fact that when you get a five star in Ohio, we make a big deal out of it, but don't make a big deal out of it at the same time. It's like oh wow, they got Paris Johnson, but at the same time, it's like yeah, you're supposed to get Paris Johnson. He lives 90 minutes from you. The other thing that jumped out at me when I looked back over how this room came together was I think you can go to any other position group and look back over the last five to seven years of Ohio State football, and you're going to find highly ranked guys, sometimes five-star guys, who don't pan out. We've seen that at receiver where guys have transferred out uh, pretty quickly, realizing there wasn't a spot for them. Some of that was a little bit positionally. They were recruiting some some slot guys who really more of the H back and there wasn't really a that that kind of got transitioned out of the program in a way and I think it made sense for those guys to leave we obviously saw Tyreek Johnson just leave after coming here as a five-star cornerback you know Justin Hilliard came here as a five-star and there were injuries and stuff that got in his way too so I'm not like ripping on him Jonathan Cooper was like a very late career kind of breakthrough to the to the impact he had when I look at offensive line I feel like their batting average is pretty good on recruiting 
highly ranked guys and then following through on making those guys good. You know, and it took a couple years for Nicholas Petit Frere, but it's supposed to take a little longer on the offensive line. Harry Miller uh, had his issues last year, but he was a, a second-year player um, kind of switching positions and playing guard and, and still was a guy that the Big Ten coaches voted him third-team all-conference. I don't know if that says something about the, the depth of talent in the conference last year, but that it said something to me that the coaches were the ones voting him that last season. That you've got – so in these other five-star guys that they've been getting, obviously Paris Johnson looks like he's – right on track to, to make a huge impact. Matt Jones was a, you know, not a five-star, but a, a number 68 overall. He was making big impacts last year in the roles he had and is in position to maybe start this year. I think that means something that when they go out and get a five-star on the offensive line, the guy typically ends up making an impact. They don't have a lot of guys who you look back and say, boy, that was a real whiff. Either they were wrong about him or they didn't get the job done turning him, taking the talent that he had and making it um, impactful on the field. And there's a, de a development aspect of that that has to be important there in the fact that let's just – I mean, we're going to – Tyree Johnson is the, is the poster child of what we're talking about where you say five stars, you don't hit it. And we're, let's not shy away from that. Just look at what his path was and how many different assistant coaches he had. And his first assistant coach wasn't very good with Tabor Johnson and Alex Grinch. Well – the offensive line doesn't have – guys for on the offensive line, especially right now, don't have that journey. It got a little iffy there a little bit when Ed Warner was here at the at the tail end of that. But since Greg Strujawa showed up in 2016, he's just been churning them out, churning them out, churning them out. Now, whether he's been solely responsible for why that five-star top 100 recruit was here in the first place, that's a different discussion that we're obviously going to get into on this pod. But the fact of the matter is when they get here – they're going to be in his room and being developed under his watch and we've seen why davis develop we've seen uh josh myers develop we've seen guys you know win remington awards we've seen guys go be on to be first round draft picks all americans i mean we're like you just mentioned with paris johnson we just saw what he's turning it what we think he's going to turn into he flashed a little bit of that in the clemson game so the development aspect of this is is always there which i think as we're talking about at offensive line, that's probably more important than anywhere else because there's a physical aspect and then there's an on-field aspect as well. And both of those seem to be, you know, working at a quality level. We're going to take a break here and we're going to come back and transition into what's happening in 2022, who they have, but more importantly, who they need and why they need them and what it says about Ohio State going forward, uh, kind of maybe depending on who they're able to land for that class. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. We are back on Buckeye Talk, the BFF podcast, talking Ohio State offensive line recruiting. Ohio State has one offensive line commitment for 2022. It is Tegra Shabola. Real quickly, can you kind of just give us a breakdown of him? What's he about? Where does he fit in for this class? Yeah, the number 183 player in the country, the number 21 offensive lineman in the country. He's been kind of, you know going up and down in this like 100 area right at some point at, there was a long time where he was like a borderline top 100 recruit and he's kind of moved around between maybe the number 10 offensive tackle in the country and now obviously the number 21 offensive tackle in the country let's see what happens when the, as the world opens back up and he's able to get on camps and see stuff I did get a chance to see him in person uh at, at the Under Armour All-American camp back in April and right now he just looks 
I mean, he's huge. And some of that is, as he liked to put it, they're in bulking season at Lakota West and Westchester, Ohio. So he's probably a little bigger than what his actual playing weight is. But, I mean, he's every bit of that 6'5", 340 pounds that he's listed at in his 247 profile. But I think he's a guy where – I, he's not the five-star Paris Johnson route right now where it's by year two, you're probably thinking he might be on the field or Harry Miller, those types of guys. You wouldn't be shocked if he's on the field as a sophomore. He's more of a – he's not developmental either. He's not a guy where it's like maybe he's a starter for one year and it's a fifth-year senior. He's a guy right now where – by his junior year, you should be expecting him to go out there and try to win a job, kind of similar to Matthew Jones, even though they are 100 you know, points different in their rankings. It's kind of the similar development path that they're on right now. And he's a quality get in the class. He was the second player to commit, um, along with following Jair Brown literally the next day uh, back in May 2020. But he, if that's your best option, this was kind of a failure in, a, in, in offensive line recruiting in this cycle. But he's a – quality option if he's one of maybe two or three guys in their class I remember bulking season mine started in like 1992 and didn't end until I wasn't going to McDonald's <laughs> anymore it. last year so that's the one guy that they have for 2022 but there's a, a huge need still sitting out there before we talk about the candidates why does Ohio State need why is tackle such a huge need for Ohio State in this 2022 class so it's <sighs> It's just kind of that time for a tackle. It's, 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 a, it's a weird thing that Ohio State's been in a cycle of, and I've mentioned this to the Texers a couple times, but they're in two different cycles right now. There's the cycle of interior tackle, interior tackle that Ohio State just happens to be on, and then there's a cycle that they just happen to be in with Alabama, which isn't purposeful. It just happened to work out this way. And 2017, that's that's Red Shadrawa's first recruiting class at, at Ohio as an Ohio State um, assistant coach. His first season was the 2016 regular season. He went out and got Wyatt Davis, the number 24 player and the number one offensive guard in the country. That was your five-star offensive lineman. So off the bat, he got offensive lineman. Even if the story of how he got him is a little funny, he basically had to wait down the street on signing day to make sure that Wyatt Davis didn't go anywhere, like go to Washington for an official visit right before signing day. And then 2018, they come back and he go and and with the help of Greg Schiano, who because his son was also at that school, Berkeley Prep from Florida, they go get the number one tackle of five star tackles. So right now, that puts them on the cycle of every other year with the interior guys versus the tackles. Because the next year, 2019, with the help of Ryan Day, they go get a five star center in Harry Miller. Then the next year, 2020, obviously Paris Johnson, an offensive tackle. And then in 2021, they go in and they get the number one guard in the country, Donovan Jackson. So by that logic, it's tackle time. <laughs> it's tackle time. It's five-star tackle time, which is just to keep that cycle going. But there's also another cycle that they're on, which is just as weird that they've been on since 2017. And that's with Alabama and alternating getting the number one tackle in the class. And and. It, 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 was, it continued last year with J.C. Latham going to Alabama and obviously Paris Johnson going to Ohio State the year before that. Ohio State almost ended that cycle last year by getting J.C. Latham. But then J.C. Latham, who is from Wisconsin, Big Ten territory. So, yeah, it kind of made some sense why he wanted to go to Ohio, while Ohio State had all that momentum for months. Then he transferred to IMG. He's a little bit closer to Alabama. There's a lot of details that go into why he ended up – all that momentum shifted to Alabama. But the point is Alabama was able to continue that cycle by also snatching away Ohio State's five-star tackle. So now we're back in this situation again where Ohio State just needs to get a five-star tackle to keep that cycle alive of quality, high-level talent to go along with whatever developmental guys you have 
at the, you know, in the middle of the recruiting class. So who are the primary candidates Ohio State is pursuing at tackle? And kind of give us a rundown of what they're about and, and where they're from and, and what they would bring to the table. It, it obviously always starts with, it starts with Zach Rice out of Liberty Christian Academy in Lynchburg, Virginia, the number five player in the country and the number one tackle in the country. It all starts with him. I mean, Ohio State's had some success getting five stars out of Virginia in the, in the recent history. I mean, Travion Henderson does exist. And then you've got guys like Taraja Mitchell, who's a top 100 recruit out of Virginia in 2018 as well. So it all starts with him. He's there. If they actually really want to keep both cycles going, this is who you go get. You go get the number one tackle in the country, the number five player who will visit Ohio State this summer. He will be here for the Buckeye Bash on June 4th, I believe. And then after that, it's Tyler Booker out of IMG Academy. Uh, number 40 player in the country, the number five tackle. And then it's Keontae Goodwin, which is going to it's, – it's, it's interesting. He's committed to Kentucky. He was long – he's, for all intents and purposes, the J.C. Latham of this class as a tackle who was long favorite to Ohio State. And the momentum just started to shift. And a lot of the, the fact that we were in a recruiting dead period because of the pandemic had a lot to do with that. There's some belief that that recruitment's not over. That a lot of the reason for why he chose to go to Kentucky is when he's from Louisville, so it's his, in his home state. But also, I think there was some belief there that he didn't think the recruiting dead period was going to end anytime soon. And he had a good reason to believe that. Every time it seemed like there was momentum towards it ending, instead it was just like, nope, we're going to extend it. And I think when it got extended, instead of some of that optimism around that April 15th date, I think he lost a little bit of hope and just decided to go where he was comfortable, which was what we've seen a lot of 2022 guys go. But it's a lot different when comfortability is Kentucky instead of USC or Texas. So it seems like that one might not be over. If Ohio State really wanted to try to flip that guy, they'd have a good chance there. And then the Ohio guy is Emil Wagner, number 109 player, the number 10 tackle in the country, primarily new to the position. Um, that guy started out his high school career playing wide receiver and then played tight end and then played defensive end. And now he's playing offensive tackle literally because his team didn't have anybody else to put there. So he just said, I'll do it coach and found out he was pretty good. And now he's got an Ohio state offer. So a little bit of a late bloomer. There might be some development there, especially from a physical standpoint. He's listed at six, six two fifty. Um, from what he told me, he's yeah. From what he told me, he's more closer to <laughs> that, that face. Said it, the face Nathan just made, if you could have saw it, said everything that you needed. It's everything you thought it was going to be when I said 6'6", 250, top 100 offensive tackle. But from what he's told me, he's actually more 275, so he has bulked up a little bit since he was last measured and tested at maybe a camp or something like that. So he's a little closer to what he needs to be, but there's still going to be some physical development there, maybe similar to what we saw with Nicholas Petit Ferrer. He knows that. He's well aware that he's going to have to get put some meat on those bones if he wants to play in the Big Ten at the Big Ten or any level at the college level. But that, that's the guy to watch because that's an Ohio guy, a top 100 kid who might just be a gym. And it's starting to show it as he continues to climb up the rankings. So it starts with those guys as far as Ohio State's top options to tackle. So we received a question with our rapid fire batch this week, and uh, we, we were going to do it on the podcast and then uh, on, on the Wednesday podcast, and we got kind of behind on some other discussions, and we decided to pull it out and use it today for BFF. And it came from the 519. It said, if Ohio State doesn't land a five-star offensive tackle in the 2022 recruiting class, what does Coach Stud's future look like? Before you answer, I want to push back a little bit on – this idea that Ohio State ever has to get a five-star at any position. You obviously want to recruit the best players you can at, at every position. 
But this idea that you can only construct a roster with five stars is tricky because the number of tackles who could be listed as a five star in any given year can fluctuate really wildly. Um, and on top of that, it's also a bit of an artificial number. It's usually right around 32 players who get that five star designation, and it's all based on like, there's 32 teams in the NFL. It's all based on like around this concept of like a first round draft pick. So I understand what they're asking. I think I would, I guess you could answer either one of the questions you want to. My question would be more like, you know, they obviously have to get a, a high caliber tackle for this class. To me, this idea of the five star is less important. The one caveat being though, that that guy is going to go somewhere. He's going probably to one of the people that you're competing directly against for a national championship. If you're Ohio state. Yeah, I understand what the question basically is. Like, you need a guy who's coming in as a freshman where, like, we we should be looking at him like he's a future first-round draft pick. That's so – like, that's the juxtaposition of the of the question. Um, they need to get a Paris Johnson. This is why we – we threw Orlando Pace. But, but that's tough because, Johnson. again, that was a, that's a right. number 10 player in the country. Right, and it's like – Number nine. It, it, that, that threw – like, Paris Johnson, it's that, and then also Josh Myers basically calling him – Orlando Pace after we called him Orlando Pace for three years just throws off. We can't even throw his name out there. You need a Harry Miller or a Nicholas Petit Frere in that rate, like guy who was a top 25 player in the country at the position who are a five-star player. Because Harry Miller was a five-star, but he's the number 30 player. And that's a lot different than you're right. You have Paris Johnson being the number 10 player, which was probably still a little bit underrating what he is. I think he needs to get a five-star in the cycle, but it is not career damning if he doesn't if that makes sense, because uh, we did a pod earlier this year where we, pre- we basically ranked the assistant coaches as recruiters and not just like in their position room, but like their value as recruiters on the staff. And that go, what goes into that is how you recruit your room, but also how often are you aiding somebody else in their recruiting process? And I think it was back in, in April, the first week of April was the first pod, pod we did. And Greg Strujawa was seventh. He was last of the guys we could actually rank because I don't think Parker Fleming had been – no, he had been announced as the assist, as the uh, special teams coach, but, like, we're not ranking that guy. And then Matt Barnes, we weren't really sure what he had – as he admitted, his, his involvement in the, on the recruiting side wasn't as heavy as it is going to be right now, and it's because Kerry Combs exists. So of the guys we could rank, Greg Strujawa was last on that list because that's not his strong suit. He's not a recruiter. He's not the best recruiter on his team. There's plenty of really good recruiters on his team. As I was listing off some of the guys Ohio State's got in the past, I made it the point to say, with the help of Ryan Day, with the help of Greg Schiano, and that goes on down the list of all these guys. Of It's not just Greg Strudrawa. It's a little bit more of a collaborative effort in his room. But that's probably not where his value is either. Tony Alford's value is in some of his ability to recruit, which is why he was an assistant recruiter on so many different guys. The same with Brian Hartline and Al Washington and Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs. Greg Strujawa's value seems to be more in his development of players. And if, if that's the case, he's doing a pretty good job. Ohio State has had the best run game in the Big Ten as far as yards per game every year but 2018. And we all know why that running game was a mess. It wasn't just on the offensive line which he's also had a top 20 running game in the country every year except 2018, literally. So from that standpoint, Ohio State's doing its job. It's Justin Fields got sacked a lot, but it wasn't because it's – he wasn't getting – one, he wasn't getting sacked like eight times a game. And two, some of those sacks were because he likes to hold on to the ball and make big plays, and usually it paid off, and sometimes it ended up in a bad sack. 
So from that standpoint, he might not be the guy who's going out there and gathering the talent, but once they're in the room, they typically develop in the high-level players. And so I think if we have to take some of that value away from is he the guy getting a five-star and look at maybe some of the other things where because he does that so well, it offsets the fact that he maybe isn't the best recruiter. Here's why the five-star conversation is a little bit dangerous or where you start putting that expectation on coaches. You listed a long a pretty decent list of guys that Ohio state is pursuing as tackles for this 2022 class. Zach Rice is the only five-star. So I think it, it starts to get weird. If you start to think of like Tyler Booker or Keontae Goodwin or Joe Brunner, or I guess even someone like Cam Dewberry, like you start talking about guys like that as like backup or like fallback options. Those, those are like your safety school. It's like, well, I didn't get into uh, Harvard, uh, but you know, whatever, like, Yale is my safety school or something like that like no that's not really how it works like they're both really hard to get into and will set you up pretty well and that's kind of how you look at the offensive line recruiting it's um that if, if you're only going after there's only one five star on that list to then say that if they don't get Zach Rice that that somehow um is a is a referendum on Greg Stoudrawa I think that that's a really tough position to put any coach in to put it on one player, especially an out-of-state player. It'd be one thing if he was in-state, but it's a guy who's in the South. You're going to have a lot of really tough competition for him. And to that point, there are four or five star tackles in this class. Zach Rice is the only one with an offer. Literally, he's the only one they've offered. The other one's Josh Cornley Jr. out of Washington. He's got he's favored to stay home and go to Washington. Kelvin Banks out of Texas, the number three tackle in the country. He's favored to either Texas A&M or Oklahoma State. And then Will Campbell out of Louisiana is already committed to LSU because no matter how crazy and messed up LSU's program is off the field, they're going to go lock up their state every single time. That's something you can bank on. So, yeah, it's if you're only offering one five-star – that's a lot of pressure to get that one five-star who does exist. Now, does it need to happen? Probably. Yeah, you need to go get Zach Rice. But it's not like – you're right. It's not like the, the – the, it's if you don't get Zach Rice, you can just go get the next five-star down the book when there's only four of them and you've clearly put all your attention into this one. It's, it's similar to – in 2017, Chase Young wasn't the – there were other five-star defensive ends, but they put all their energy into Chase Young. And that's where they put all their marbles at. So it's not like a situation where, oh, you needed to get a five-star defensive end. It's, no, you needed to get Chase Young. And in this situation, it's, no, you need to get Zach Rice. It's not necessarily – you got to – with this situation, you have to put a name on the five-star everyone's talking about. What do you know about his relationship with Ohio State and um, where things kind of sit there? I mean, okay, the, there's interest on Ohio State's part, obviously. Do we know how Zach Rice feels about Ohio State and – and um, you said he probably is, he is coming up here for the Buckeye Bash. Yes, he'll be up. That'll be the first of four scheduled visits already. He's planning on taking all five of his. He'll be at Ohio State June 4th, the weekend after that. He'll visit, or take an official visit to Virginia, which is interesting. I, I always find it interesting when kids take official visits to schools that are within their state because the whole point of an official visit is you're not paying for it, the school is. So it's like, <laughs> it's other things yeah, that go into also, it, obviously. But. Yeah, I mean, you're also, you're staying with the team overnight. Yeah. For I mean, there's, yeah. there's other things that go into it. There's things that you can do on an official visit that you can't that you can, on just right. a unofficial right. or, or right, visiting right, right. for a game or whatever. Right, and then the weekend after that, June 18th, he'll be at Alabama, and then he'll go to Notre Dame, and then obviously he's got one more. It's strong. It's high, right? The Ohio State's in his top five, and the, he and, and, and the coaching, Greg Shudrawa and the coaching staff have a great relationship. But this is going to be a situation where there are some guys who are going to come off of these official visits 
where it's going to be refreshing their 247 page every day, trying to see if there's crystal ball showing up and if there's a commitment date coming right after it. Because there are some guys where it is, get them on campus, and that might be the tipping point. I don't know if he's one of those guys because I think that a lot of these kids have been strategic on using June to do these official visits because it's been so long since they've been able to do that. There are some kids where it's like, I am not going to allow allow the rush and the high off of I just got home and this was awesome to make my decision because that's an emotional approach to this. I think he's going to take all these visits. He's going to take a moment and step back and allow that initial emotion to wear off and then make a sound decision on where he wants to go. Do I think the Ohio State visit is going to go really well? Yeah, and it's very important that he's here for that date. There, it's, uh, uh, there's a reason why certain kids are coming on certain days. It's important that the number one tackle in the country is coming the first visit when also you're expected to have pretty much all but one commit in town. That, that's important. That's, there's a reason why it was so important for that. But it's also important to understand that on June 6th, you shouldn't be going when Zach Rice's commitment date. You should be waiting more until July to see, okay, is the commitment date going to come now or does he wait until maybe closer to when his senior year of high school starts? Anything happening for 2023 yet? They started offering guys, but it's, it's, very, it's very, very early. I, I, obviously, the top got dog there is Luke Montgomery. I got the guy of Ohio who I've written about who might just be the Jack Sawyer, uh, Paris Johnson, C.J. Hicks, leader of the class. He's the number 53 player in the country, the number five overall offensive tackle out of Finley, Ohio. Um, his father, Mike Montgomery, played, played uh, college ball at Miami, Ohio at the same time as Paris Johnson's father was there and Nassau McCullough's father was there. So there is, there's already some relationships that were already built there. Um, very, very good friends with Paris Johnson and his mother and his mother, Monica Johnson, their, their families are very, very close. So it all starts with him, obviously, as a guy who might end up being a five-star recruit by the time we get to that signing day. But the top dog there is Caden Proctor, the number nine player and the number two offensive tackle in the country out of Iowa Southeast Polk, which is, if that school sounds familiar, it should. It's because it's the same high school as 2022 safety target uh, Xavier Nungpuk, who has had crystal balls to Ohio State for a while now as well. Those are the top two guys. That, they've offered six offensive tackles in that class. Another one, Aiden Lee, he's the only one of the six who doesn't have a ranking yet. That is the younger brother of Tristan Lee, who just committed to and is now on Clemson's campus. So we'll see how that goes. Um, obviously, they took an opportunity. They offered him very early in the process, but some of that was probably because you got a relationship with Tristan and you're trying to lock him down. So you might as well start recruiting his brother too as he starts reeling in offers. But, yeah, they've offered six guys, but Caden Proctor and Luke Montgomery are clearly the top two options there um, as they continue to throw out offers in that class. We're going to take another break. We're going to come back and talk about some of the important events coming up in Ohio State recruiting. You are listening to Buckeye Talk. Back on the BFF podcast, when the NCAA lifted the dead period, it allowed teams to start having camps again and, and bringing recruits onto campus. So, Stephen, kind of tell us what that means for Ohio State and why the month of June is going to be kind of loaded for Buckeye recruiting. Yeah, I don't think anybody in that athletic department is having any type of fun this June. It doesn't matter what sport we're talking about. There's going to be a lot of high school kids running around Ohio State's campus. But these camps for Ohio State are important because it means real evaluations. There's a lot of kids in 2022, 2023, and, and so on now who probably don't have real evaluations because coaches have never seen these people in person. 
Quinn Ewers hasn't been the Columbus since he was before his freshman year, I believe. So, yeah, he's the perfect rating. He's all these things. But the, his future coaches haven't seen him throw a football in person. That's, like, not a good space to be in. And I know it's a pretty normal space, but that doesn't mean it makes you feel any better about yourself. And so it's a chance to see these recruits and commits in person, but it's also a chance to evaluate who some of these future targets are. And so, you know, it, it's a, to see guys like Kai Stokes and figure out, okay, this guy didn't have a ranking when he committed to Ohio State. Why did Ohio State take this guy, let alone offer him? Well, we might find out this summer as he attends some of these camps and goes to some of these national showcases that Ohio State was just early on this kid. And so there's a chance, there's a lot of times where you go to these camps where a kid comes to the camp and he performs well and he gets an offer. Terry McLaurin is a prime example of this guy, a guy who came to a lot of these day camps, and it took him a while to get an offer. He didn't get an offer the first time he came. I don't even think he got an offer the second time he came to a day camp. It was maybe the third or the fourth time by the time he actually earned an offer. But it's the point that this is a chance to be seen by the coaches, get real college work. This is These camps are why Jack Sawyer is so far ahead as a true freshman and looks so awesome in the spring game because he would come to these day camps and work with Larry Johnson and get the same teachings that he was giving these players or actually on the roster when they go into practice time. So th these camps are that, are that important. They'll be every Tuesday and Wednesday throughout the month of June. So you'll see a bunch of high school kids running around and pretty much every Tuesday and Thursday and Wednesday, We'll be, I'll be there. I'll be observing and, and giving my analysis. But also, out of those camps, more targets will be will be revealed because a lot of kids end up earning their offers coming out of these camps. What, so what happens at a camp? Are they broken up by position group? And then is it just mm -hmm. them putting them through workouts? I've seen these um, – when I used to cover basketball, they would have these sort of summer events that they would come in and have them do a bunch of drills and maybe they would do some sort of scrimmage stuff. Football is obviously a different animal. But what goes on at a, a football camp? So they are split up. It's big. The, the, the actual name of the camp is OSU Skill and Big Man Camp. So I was, that's how I split. It's offensive linemen, people, and then it's, and the, it's people on the line of scrimmage and then it's skill position guys. One's in the morning, one's in the afternoon. I think, the, I think offensive linemen are usually in the morning, which if you're an offensive lineman, that's a great thing because it's not as hot and you're out there running around and you're a big guy. Um, but, yeah, they, they go through drills. They put them through a lot of drills, a lot of competitive one-on-one -on -one situations. In the past, they've had a camp that was designated to seven-on-seven -seven play, uh, which is pretty good for the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, and the defensive backs. But it's mostly just going through a lot of drills, a lot of combine stuff. It's really no different than these national showcases where you go through drill, position drills. I think some schools, like, give, do your 40 time and get measurements and stuff like that. But for Ohio State, it's typically just been position drills, which – and then from there, you're able to project out players and evaluate players based on how they do those position drills. Can you think of some examples of where the camps directly led to players that are on this roster right now? Yeah, I, I remember uh, um, Darion Henry Young, I think, is the most the one that just pops out in my mind as a guy who came to camps. He got an offer at a camp. And then he just started coming to camps all the time. He, he would come up and get the work. He would get all this work, the defensive end work, the defensive tackle work, and go through all of these drills all with the understanding that in six, it was summer 2019. So he was doing all that with the understanding that I'm getting ahead in my learning curve a little bit. Jack Sawyer was the same way. He came to, uh, I think he came to one or two camps that summer and had plans to come to pretty much every camp last summer until obviously COVID happened. But I remember seeing Darion Henry Young at these camps, Jack Sawyer at these camps. Uh, Emory Jones, when he was still at Ohio State Commit, used to come to these camps. Paris Johnson, even if he wasn't working out, 
he would just be at these camps walking around, being on the campus as a guy obviously from Cincinnati living 90 minutes from here. He would be at these camps. Really, it's, it's, it, it, it's really beneficial for the guys who live in the Big Ten big, uh, footprint because obviously there will be some national guys who show up to one or two camps. But for these kids who live in the Big Ten footprint who are going to end up on Ohio State's roster, uh, guys like Brendan Vernon, who is a, a Ohio State target in 2023 class and a high, high favorite to end up being a Buckeye commit, Sonny Styles in 2023. Those are guys to think about. Uh, Jaden Ballard has been at some of these camps. So, it, yeah, this is where it starts. This is where the teaching starts, whether you're a commit or you're just a target or you're just a prospect or somebody looking to work, learn an off, get an offer. This is where that all starts as far as you can get ahead as far as learning a lot of the same techniques that Ohio State's going to teach you once you get here. So like Steven said, he is going to be there throughout the month of June, getting intel, getting to know these kids, uh, hearing what they have to say about Ohio State. Um, there's going to be some other things coming up in June. Steven's going to be on the road going to Atlanta. Is that in June or July? June. That is June. So later in June. Yeah, in the, um, the June. Um, so it's just a, it's a huge month. It is a huge month for recruiting. I would suggest if you have not tried the text yet, 614-350-3315. If you haven't tried the text and you're interested in Ohio State recruiting, this would be a great time to try that two-week free trial. Or maybe even wait wait through the Memorial Day weekend and then sign up. I shouldn't say that, I suppose. But that if you want to really maximize your, your like, two weeks, um, maybe wait until not this weekend but next weekend, right? Because when do the camps start? The camps start June 2nd. Okay, so yeah, right after right after Memorial Day weekend. So maybe get on there. You'll be getting text intel from Stephen. We'll still be doing the um, Hey Stephen recruiting question of the day Monday through Friday. So all of that recruiting intel comes right to your phone, and it's free for the first two weeks, and then it's three ninety nine a month after that. We think it is a great value because it's not just the recruiting stuff. You're getting all the stuff that Doug and I send you as well. So if you haven't tried it now, I just think June is uh, a lot of times it's supposed to be kind of like the off season, right? And it's supposed to be quieter and we're supposed to be taking vacations. And I guess we do that too, but there's a lot of work to be done in June, especially around recruiting. And if, if that's where your interest is, now's a good time to try at least that two week free trial. Thanks again for listening to Buckeye talk, uh, the Buckeye futures, Buckeye football futures, man, one of these days, I'm going to say it right the whole way through a podcast. Maybe, maybe by the end of June after we have such a busy month. But I'm Nathan Baird, and for Stephen Means, that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.